Um, we're going to continue in the Matthew series, all right? Um, we're doing Matthew 16. You know, we're in the season of the 40 days fast and pray. And if you are participating or if you are uh, joining us in the 40 days fast and pray as a church, I just want to start by just giving thanks to God for a testimony that, um, that I want to share with you, right? And of course, it's about my life and that's why I want to share it. Um, just in case you don't know, for the last few years, I have not been able to participate in fast and pray because I couldn't fast. So I just told God, um, I'll pray, but I really need you to help me fast. And the reason why I say this is because one week into the fast and pray, um, I met Pastor Sam Kyung, and he asked me, how's your fast? Can you fast this year? And it, it caught me off guard. I was like, what do you mean, can I fast this year? And I just realized one week into the fast and pray that yes, I could not fast for the last couple of years. Why? Because when I was young, I, had a, I was diagnosed with a stomach ulcer at the age of 17. So I had this stomach condition for, uh, uh, since I was young. Um, and from then on, I had a very bad acid reflux, right? So uh, from now and then, uh, 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 if you know what acid reflux is, you know what it is. If you not, Google it after the service, right? But I could not fast because it would always give me gastric. It would always be very painful. I must eat something. Uh, I eat small meals at short intervals, which help me, which is why sometimes I snack a little bit. It's because sometimes I feel like the acid is bubbling up, which is why I couldn't fast. And I said to God, God, this year, I really want to honor you. I really want to really be a part. I really want to fast. And I'm tired of fasting sweet drinks. And if you know me a little bit better, I'm tired of fasting Coke every year, right? It's getting a little bit too easy for me now. So I'm tired of fasting Coke. I want to I wanna fast real fast. I'm going to fast meals this time. So I didn't think much of it. And on the launch of the 40 days, when Pastor Lichu was asking us to, to pledge and to give commitment to God, I wrote something. I wrote something down my pledge card. I just said, I want to eat one meal a day, and that's, that's it. I'm, I'm going to try. Um, and then, praise God. This is the first year that one week into the fast, and we're three weeks into the fast, that I realized that I have got absolutely no problems, no gastric pains, uh, uh, no acid reflux in my fast and pray. Right? I believe I am healed. I believe I really am healed. So I am like a walking miracle right now. So I just want to encourage you, if you're not participating in the fast and pray, we've got one week left, okay? We've got about seven or eight days left. If I could just encourage you, do something. If you, if you don't feel convicted to fast, just feel convicted to pray a little bit more, all right? And if you are a little bit more convicted to fast, try something simple like what I did. Fast your favorite drink, which is Coke. My favorite drink is Coke. It's the best drink in the world. And despite what people say, it does not contain as much sugar as it does like in a fruit juice, all right? So if you are a fruit juice lover, you have drink more sugar than I have. Okay, is that okay? Yeah, all right. Matthew 16, 1 to 20. Let's talk about the Word of God now, all right? I'm going to read from it. So if you could follow me, that would be great. Matthew 16. The Pharisees and the Sadducees came to Jesus and tested Him by asking Him to show them a sign from heaven. He replied, when evening comes, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red and in the morning today it would be stormy for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked an adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonas. Jonah. Jesus then pacified the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus then comforted them, say a nice word to them. No, of course not. Jesus then left them and went away. Verse 5. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They discussed this among themselves and said, It is because we didn't bring any bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, You of little faith, 
Why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it that you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? But be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he was not talking, telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, I feel like you're Justin Bieber. I feel you're Katy Perry. No. Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. It's a younger crowd, right? You get what I'm saying, right? Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Some still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he said. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, Petros, and on this rock I will build my church, Ecclesia, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Let us pray. Thank you, Jesus, for the reading of your word. God bless your word. Thank you for the word of God that, always, that is always speaking life into us. This afternoon, Father God, we give you permission, Holy Spirit, to move in our midst. We give you permission to convict us. Holy Spirit, we give you permission to speak to us, speak into the recesses of our soul so that we will not leave this place the same again. Oh, Jesus, we honor you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, church. <clears throat> okay, just in case you didn't catch my joke, Justin Bieber is not in the Bible. Okay, um, you know, Matthew 16 and 17, to me, in my, in my book, if I ever were to write a commentary, would be the pinnacle of the book of Matthew, besides the beginning and besides the end. Of course, everybody knows the introduction of any book is the pinnacle. The ending of any book will conclude the book and give you the summary, all right? But the, where is the pinnacle? Where is the peak of this book? And to me, I feel like it is Matthew 16 and Matthew 17. And if I were to go back um, to whatever century that they compiled the Bible, I would say Matthew 16 and 17 is actually supposedly one chapter together because I think the stories interweave and intertwine. And there's so many theological depth in Matthew 16 that honestly, I just don't have time time to go through all of them. For example, in Matthew 16, the principle of the first in the Bible, it's the first time in the book of Matthew that the word ecclesia was used, church. Just in case you realize, it's the first time that Jesus is giving the disciples a glance into the future, the word church. That's important. I'm not going to talk about it, right? Um, it's the first time that Jesus revealed and agreed with the disciples that he is the Messiah, just so you know, he has never said uh, to anybody that I am the Messiah until then. The closest thing was John the Baptist. When John the Baptist was in prison and, and John the Baptist asked Jesus, Jesus, are you who you really say you are? And Jesus didn't really say, yes, I am the Messiah. He didn't. He gave John the Baptist a very uh, interesting answer. He just says, um, is this blind eyes open? The deaf ears hear? Then conclude for yourself, who do you think I am? And with that answer, John the Baptist knew he was a Messiah, but Jesus never really said he was a Messiah. So in this whole chapter, it's the first time that Peter said, you are the Messiah, and Jesus says, yes, you're right. 
My Father in heaven revealed that information to you. You're right. And it's also the first time that He revealed what it really means to be the Messiah. Right? Later on in the verse, it says, the Messiah came to die for your sins. And that's when He says, that is my ultimate mission and my ultimate purpose on this earth. All right? So that's significant. Another thing to note is that um, in, 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 the, in the three years of missionary work that Jesus was on earth, when He was age 30 to age 33, right? So He did a lot of, of, of good work. <clears throat> he, we all know His life ended in Jerusalem, right? But do you know the farthest point that He was in Jerusalem? Caesarea Philippi. Matthew 16. So he went all the way to Caesarea Philippi, and then he said what he said. He revealed what he revealed, which is significant. The first time he said the church, the first time he talk, talked about himself being the Messiah, and then he took a U-turn, and then he started his descent to the cross. Is that okay? So that's important, but I'm not going to cover that. And then it's also the highest place in the whole of Matthew, because in, verse, in chapter 17, it's the transfiguration. So go back and read uh, 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 chapter 17, right? It's, and uh, uh, I believe it's Mount Hermon, because it's very near Caesarea Philippi, right? Some people believe it's Mount Tabor, right? But okay, but because I have the mic, it's Mount Hermon. But basically, nobody really knows which mountain is the mountain of transfiguration, right? But to me, Mount Hermon is important because it's 10,000 feet. It's 3,000 kilometers up. It's the highest point. And that's where Jesus took all his three disciples, Peter, James, and John, to the highest point in the book of Matthew, and he revealed his glory to the three of them, together with Elijah and Moses. And to me, that's important. So the furthest point from Jerusalem, the highest point from Jerusalem, and just, I'm going to start my sermon with this. It's the first time Jesus encountered the Sadducees. And that's important in Matthew 16. And that's why I entitled my sermon, What is Wrong with Yeast? What is wrong with yeast, right? Um, because this is a younger crowd, my, my, my first sermon title, uh, by the way, I have many drafts on my sermon title because I, don't, I feel like I, that's not my strength. My strength is really not to come up with sermon titles. Um, I, 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 I'm not cool enough. I don't have good puns, right? Um, so my first title was uh, Yeast Wars, The Rise of the Yeast, right? <laughs> Uh, to pun uh, uh, the rise of Skywalker that's uh, uh, launching in December. But then my wife said, nobody will get it, but I think the fourth service will get it, right? Yeast wars, the rise of the yeast. Um, um, so what's wrong with yeast? Um, I'm going to give you three points. Um, and I'm proud of my three points because um, very rare you get three C's or three B's from my sermon. Um, you usually don't. Um, I'm, not a, I'm not Pastor Chiu. I'm neither am I my wife, right? Uh, is it up on the screen? There you go. Content of your heart, condition of your heart, and the cure of your heart, all right? So I'm proud of it. Three C's, there you go. Um, if you remember nothing, remember this, all right? That once in a while, you get three C's from Isaac. Okay, all right. Content of your heart, condition of your heart, the cure of your heart. Now, why is it important that this is the first time that Jesus encountered the Sadducees? You know, he's encountered the Pharisees many times. He's encountered the scribes many times. He's encountered the teachers of the law many times. But this is the first time that Jesus encountered the Sadducees. Now, that's important because in every commentary you read or any theological school you read, when you see these two group of people together, you know immediately that it is an unholy alliance. That's what the gospel writers is trying to tell you. If you see the word Pharisees, if you see the word Sadducees, and then in the middle you see the word end, which means that they have allied themselves. It's an unholy alliance. Why? Because Pharisees and Sadducees are actually the, the teachers of the law, the Jewish teachers of the law, but they don't agree. They always fight, right? It's like, okay, okay, never mind. Okay, they always fight. Scrape that. Uh, they always fight. Um, why? Because the, the Sadducees um, 
don't believe in the resurrection. The Pharisees do. The Sadducees um, um, interpret the word, the Torah, literally. Every iota, every interpretation is literal, right? They, they cannot digress a little bit. They cannot be eisegesis or extra homiletics. Big words, Google it, right? Uh, uh, into the Torah, right? But the Pharisee says, okay, no, 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 no. We've got a Tanakh, right? We also believe the Torah and a Tanakh, which is the written word of all the rabbis in the past. So there's extra additions to the Torah. So they argue, right? The Sadducees don't believe in life after death. The Pharisees says, yes, you do have a soul. There is life after death. So they would fight. They would always fight. And the Sadducees, more often than not, would always win because the Sadducees uh, 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 comprises of the elite of the elite. So they are, they are the ones that hold the power in the Roman Empire. They are the ones that hold the money. They are the ones that hold the influence, and, the, and they're very few. And the Pharisees are a large number because they are more the middle class, all right? So they would always fight, and they would never ally themselves. But the only time in the history of first century Palestine that they will willingly ally themselves is when they say, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? They say, we would ally ourselves for a common goal, for a common objective, that is to come up against Jesus. Jesus is the threat to our religion. Jesus is the threat to our ministry. And we must demolish the status and the title and the influence, the power of Jesus. And that's why the Pharisees and the Sadducees tested Jesus by asking him for a very specific Jewish phrase, a sign from heaven. You see, up to that point, Jesus had performed many signs. Jesus had performed many miracles. Just in case uh, uh, you are wondering where am I getting at, it is really this. Sometimes Jesus in your life has given you a sign. Jesus has given you a miracle. Jesus has opened a door for you. Jesus has touched your life and spoken to you. And sometimes we're still so calloused, we're so hardened in our hearts that we keep asking God, God, I don't see the sign. Give me more. Give me more. Give me more. And, and if, you, if you don't watch yourself and if you're not careful and if you're not on guard with the yeast of the Pharisees, you could end up like the Pharisees or the, or, or the Sadducees. You're, God has already given you so much and you're still asking God, really? Where, God? Give me more. Give me a sign from heaven. You see, Jesus uh, healed the blind man and then the Pharisee says, well, he wasn't really blind, right? He was never blind from birth. And then they went to ask his parents, was he really blind? They asked him, are you really blind? Are you sure? You sure you were not just closing your eyes all this time, right? And then when Jesus come and touch you, you go, oh, Jesus, and you open your eyes, right? Are you sure it's a miracle, right? When, and when Jesus casted out demons, but they say, oh, wow, this, this, this guy is the agent of Beelzebub. He must be the devil incarnate. He's Satan himself. So they accused Jesus of left, right, center. They don't, they don't agree with all his signs. And then this is the ultimate test. That's why Matthew 16 is the pinnacle. The ultimate test is when they say, give us a sign from heaven. Now that's very different from a sign. They could, they could have just said, give, show us a sign, show us a miracle. But they said, show us a sign from heaven. Now in the Jewish context, when they say, show me a sign from heaven, they're asking Jesus to be like Moses. Give me a divine sign open up the heavens so that the divine glory cloud of God will come over us and it would burn like fire when Moses went up to Mount Sinai for 40 days, right? Do you remember the story, Exodus, right? When Moses went up to Mount Sinai, the glory cloud of God came over the whole mountain and it burned and there was thunder and there was fire across and that's the kind of sign that the Pharisees were asking for. Or give me a voice from heaven. I want to hear the audible voice from God 
piercing through the clouds to announce that you are the Messiah. Then I may believe you. But interestingly, Jesus never, never pacified them. Jesus didn't even bother giving them that sign. Why? Because I've already given you so many miracles, and yet you're still so skeptical of me, and yet you still come up against me. Even if the heavens render open, you wouldn't believe. And Jesus knows the content of your heart when you pray. The content of your heart when you pray is the utmost importance because at the end of the day, how do you know that you are spiritually close with Jesus? Is it by coming to church? No, no, no. You can fake it. Is it by praying in the prayer altars? No, 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 no. It's easy to fake that, right? Is it by um, serving in church? Oh, it's easy to serve. Anybody can serve. Is it, what, what is it that shows your true spirituality? Matthew 5, when you pray in secret, your content of your prayer will always show you the content of your heart, how you really, really treat God. And today I'm telling you, if your heart is like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, always testing God, always asking God for more, always asking God to show me more so that I would believe in you, I will not serve you until you show me a sign from heaven. I will not love you until you show me a sign from heaven. I will not follow you and be your disciple until you show me a sign from heaven. You see, if the content of your heart is so hardened and so calloused, Jesus is under no obligation to give you what you want. He would just leave and walk away. And that's why sometimes when we pray, and if, the, if our heart is not right when we pray, God is under no obligation to give you an answer. He would just remain absolutely silent, like this. Jesus left and just walk away. But it's not because He does not want to answer you. It is not because He does not want you to show, show His glory to you. He really does. He really wants you to understand Him. He really wants you to understand how magnificent, how glorious He is. And how do I know that? Matthew 17. It is almost ironic that the first part of Matthew 16, Jesus said, I will not show you my glory, dear Pharisees. And in Matthew 17, Jesus showed his glory to Peter, James, and John. Now, what does that tell you? It tells you that Jesus really wants you to know who he is. He wants you to know, but only if you're close to him, only if the content of your heart is right, only if you're humble enough to come to him and say, whatever you show me, I will take. You give me this little, I'm grateful. You give me this much, I'm still grateful. You give me this little, I will steward this little. You give me this much, I will steward this much. Where is the content of your heart? That's the big, the big question I want to ask this afternoon. Where is the content of your heart when you pray? But then you ask me, how do I know that the content of my heart is right or wrong? How do I know? That's my second point. Ask yourself, what is the condition of your heart? Do you have any yeast in your life? Because the yeast will tell you whether the bread has risen or not. The yeast is a good indicator of the content of your heart. What is yeast? If you bake, 
Um, I don't know how many of you bake. Like, I know my wife bake, right? Um, I know there are some bakers in this house. But to be honest with you, I don't bake, right? Um, 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 I, I, I really, I really, this is not my, my, my forte, not my strength. Don't ask me to bake. I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't know what to do. Uh, the reason why I don't like to bake is because you have to always uh, touch the, the content with your hands, right? And to me, it's every time I do that, I feel icky and sticky, and I'm like, I want to wash my hands now. I want to wash my hands now, right? Do I have to really knead the dough with my hands? Can't we use a machine, right? Let's buy a bread maker, all right, or something like that. Well, or it's just like, why do I have to go through all this trouble? Just buy one, one ringgit bread from the, uh, uh, from the store, right? Maybe, okay, what zaman am I living in, right? One ringgit bread. All right, like when I was younger, right? One ringgit bread. Um, but, but, but I had to do a lot of research on what yeast is, right? So because I don't bake. So here, here's my research. And there's, it's a long research. Uh, one day, I would really talk about yeast, especially what yeast is in the Old Testament, in Exodus. What is the yeast in the Passover? What is the yeast, the feast of the unleavened bread? But today, it's going to be really simple. What, what is yeast? Yeast is something you can buy. It's very cheap. I think that is $1 now. Um, it's, something, it, it's a single-celled organism. So it's a fungus. So it's actually it's a fungus. Uh, it's dry. And in order to activate yeast, so all the bakers in the house, you would know what I'm talking about, right? You've got to put yeast in warm water, not cold water, because they need a certain temperature to activate, right? And not hot water, because you will kill the yeast, so it's got to be actually really warm. And you've got to put sugar in that water, and then you stir it. That's yeast, right? So yeast plus sugar, or when yeast eats sugar for breakfast, what do they spill out, right? They fart out ethanol and carbon dioxide. All right, um, and and once you once you mix the yeast with sugar and water with the dough, which is flour and water. Once you mix it all together, the carbon dioxide that is farted out from the yeast and sugar actually makes the bread rise. That's what makes the bread rise. Okay, so in just in case you don't know, now you know, right? Uh, uh, what makes the bread rise? So I, uh, um, but in in the Bible, yeast is actually a very um, not so good translation of the word. I prefer the word leaven. The leaven of the bread. Why? There's a huge difference. Because back in those days, there is no yeast, right? How do you, how do you make... It's only recently that they could package yeast up, and then back in those times, there is no sugar. So how do they make the bread rise back in the Old Testament when there was no invention of yeast and sugar? They use leaven. Now, leaven is very different from yeast, even though the end product is the same. It makes the bread rise. It's very different. What it is, when you make your dough, which is flour and water, you take a little bit of your dough out and leave it, and then you bake this dough, so it would rise, right? And then that piece of dough, you leave it overnight, and it would ferment. Because, hey, they don't have a fridge back then, right? It would ferment. And the fermentation of that dough is called leaven. So if you mix leaven in your new dough, and you knead it together, the leaven or the yeast in, in that fermented dough, would then permeate through the whole new dough. You take a bit out, and then you bake that bread. It would rise, and then rinse and repeat. Every day, rinse and repeat. Now that's leaven. And that's why leaven and yeast is so different, because leaven is a fermented, rotten piece of old dough. And Jesus said, beware, be careful, be on your guard against the leaven of your life. What is the leaven of your life? You know, I prayed 
uh, I really spend a lot of time in prayer because there's so many leavens. Uh, so if you've heard many, many sermons, and I'm sure you've had, there are many leavens that we can talk about. There's many leavens that I can talk about. The leaven of unforgiveness, the leaven of pride, the leaven of lying, the leaven of gossip, the leaven of X or Y or Z. There's many, many type of leaven, but I said, God, you're going to have to narrow it down for me. You're going to have to speak to me so that I can bring the exact leaven to your church and your people. And God gave me three specific leaven, right? Um, how I know this is, um, is in line is because if you were at Pastor Chu's sermon, it's almost the same. And I was like, praise God. I was like, I attended Pastor Chu's sermon and he, he said almost the same thing. And I'm like, praise God. That's a good affirmation for me that I'm hearing the right thing from God. So the first Leaven or the first yeast that I want to talk to you about is the yeast or the leaven of complacency. The yeast or the leaven of complacency. And I want you to check your lives, whether you have any leaven or yeast of complacency in your life. What is complacency? Complacency is the spirit of comfortability or the spirit of satisfaction. I am satisfied and I'm comfortable with my level of spirituality now. In the name of Jesus, do not ask me to go to another level. Thank you, Jesus. That's why I don't want to come and Pastor Isaac preach because I know he's going to ask me to come to another level and that's not what I want. I'm comfortable, right? I, I'm, very, I'm very comfortable with where, I, where I'm at. I pray for five minutes a week. I read uh, uh, one scripture verse on my Instagram feed that my friend posted. I feel that's good enough. Praying for five minutes, reading one Instagram feed is good enough for me. Why? Because my life is fine, my wife is fine, my children is fine, my health is fine, my work is fine, my, uh, my financial status is fine, I can pay back all my loans, I have a house, I have a car, and everything is fine in my life. So please do not disturb the perfect equilibrium that God has given me in my life right now. I'm very, very comfortable. Thank you very much, Pastor, but no thank you, right? That's the spirit of satisfaction. I'm satisfied. Where is your expectancy? Where is your expectancy for the things of God? Where is your hunger for more? Where is your thirst for the things of God that could bring you from one level to the next level? And then you say, no, 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 no. Don't ask me to pray for Kuching or for Ranao. Don't ask me to do any, any intercessory prayer. Why? Because the moment I step out of my comfort zone, the enemy will not like it and the enemy will come up against me and the enemy will tempt me and I would fall under temptation and then my perfect equilibrium will be spoiled. And then I have to fix this and fix that. God, you're going to mess up my life. I, I'm not ready for that, nor do I want that. I'm very happy where I am. You know, what I have to, what, you know what I have to say when you say that to me? Yes, yes. When you pray a bit more, the enemy will come against you. When you read the Bible a little bit more, the enemy is not going to like it. He's going to come against you. Yes, when you do the things of God a bit more, the enemy is going to come against you because you are advancing the kingdom of God. But don't fear the enemy. Why function in so much fear? When you do the things of God, who is the God that backs you up? Who is the God that you're praying to? Who is the God that loves you? Who is the God that protects you? Who is the God that blesses you? Look at the big God that we have instead of the big and the small enemy that is coming up against us. Now, that is the level of faith that Jesus is looking for. I want to pray because I want God to back me up in everything that I do. Because the moment you stay comfortable with where, you're, where you are, trust me when I tell you, either two, two things would happen. I didn't say this in the first service, but two things would happen. One, Either you remain comfortable your whole life because you are an absolutely ineffective Christian. The enemy will never touch you. 
Because you're not advancing the kingdom of God, why would the enemy disturb your nest? The enemy will give you everything you want so that you don't rise up and be the child of God that God called you to be. You are an ineffective Christian. Or, or two, something absolutely terrible will come your way because the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. Whether you are holy or unholy, whether you are Christian or not Christian, something would come and hit you. It doesn't matter, doesn't matter which religion, it doesn't matter which faith, it doesn't matter which gender, it doesn't matter which age you are. Sometimes an accident will come. Sometimes a, a work problem will come. Sometimes a family problem will come. A relationship problem will come. Sometimes whatever it is, that's just life. That is not whether, did I sin, did I not sin, that's just life. And if you are comfortable with where you are, when life hits you in the face, you would have nowhere to run. You would have no depth to call upon your God because you don't know your God because you're always comfortable. The leaven of complacency. Is that you? That's one. I've got three. Two, the leaven of skepticism. Is that you? You're always a skeptic. Really though? Really though, God? Did you really speak to this pastor? You have never spoken to me. I have never heard your voice. Are you sure you still speak to this pastor? The voice of God stopped with Jesus. Now these days, because Jesus is here, God don't speak anymore. You're so skeptical. Really though, God, did you really heal? I was never at Ranao. I know there's 190 healing cases, but I was never there. Maybe it's the Orang Asli's that are not so educated, so they don't know what healing really is, right? That's what, you're gonna, well, that's what some people say, right? Or maybe in, in this service, some people, you're so emotionally hyped up because you're crying in worship, and when we, we pray over you, we lay hands on you, and you suddenly feel this pain gone. It's a placebo effect, right? because you're, you're so hyped up with adrenaline in your body that the adrenaline would mask the pain for a little while. But once the adrenaline dies down, right, you're still going to feel the pain. You were never actually really healed. You're so skeptical of the things of God. And the skepticism, if you don't nip it in the bud, but if you don't get rid of the leaven or the yeast in your life, the skepticism would always lead to mockery because you're always on this side. If you were a mocker, a mo mockers draw a line. I am here and everybody that I want to mock stands over there. So I'm going to mock you. Oh, you, 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 you want to come to church two times, two times a, 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 a weekend because you want to hear this pastor preach and the other pastor preach? Wow, no need so spiritual. Ah. Wow, why are you so spiritual? You want to fast and pray? Why you need to fast and pray? You've got a lot of problem in your life, is it? Look at me, my, uh, no problem. Why do I need to fast, fast and pray? I'm good. I'm good to go, right? You're, wait, wait, wait. You're mocking everything, right? Um, why do we have to go to so many prayer altars? Pray altars for what? You pray for the country for what? Not like we can do anything. It's the politicians that would do everything. What? We have no power. You mock. You're, you're just mocking. Why, 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 you know, people come to the altar call and, and they, they fall. No lah, it's just they, their knees were weak lah that day lah because they're crying lah. Please lah, don't trick me. You think I don't know? right? You're mocking everything, right? And you're, you're so complaining every time you come to church. Oh my goodness, right? This is not right. That is not right. This. You got to check yourself sometimes. Is there any yeast of skepticism in your life that leads to the spirit of mockery? You got to check yourself, right? Because at the end of the day, what happens if God really did heal that person from cancer? You just mocked a miracle of God. And you just fell in the same category as the Pharisees. What if? 
what if God really healed that crippled and he could walk? And it was not coincidence that that crippled was taking some steroids and that crippled was taking some medication and at the same moment, coincidentally, when the medication kicked in and then he prayed, coincidentally, that guy could walk for a little while, right? Or, I know exactly what you're thinking, right? And you're like, this is not God. But what if it really is God? You just mocked God's work, God's handiwork, and you just fell under the spirit of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And God is under no obligation to answer your prayers. He would just leave and walk away. Don't fall. Watch out for the yeast of skepticism in your life. That's the last one. The leaven of dishonor. The yeast of dishonor. I'm going to make dishonor very simple because we can go into all the interpretation of dishonor. Dishonor means making things light. You're making the things of God light. Where is the honor of God in your life? You would only honor somebody if you think that that somebody is somebody worth your honor. Like, for example, if a big shot were to walk in this room right now, let's just say, Oprah, right? She's a big shot. Well, well, my age, she's a big shot, right? I don't know if you're younger than me. I don't know who's a big shot in your life anymore, right? If she walked in your room right now, you would give your sit up for her, wouldn't you? You would stand up maybe for her, wouldn't you? Or maybe some president or prime minister would walk in. You would, right? Your governor would walk in, right? You'd be like, oh, can I get you a drink? Can I do something for you? Will you do the same for God? Or will you treat God very lightly? You would take the things of God and you say, God, it's okay. You understand, right, if I cannot talk to you for two weeks, two weeks becomes two months, two months becomes two years, and you're like, God, you are a loving God, right? Because on Instagram, it says, God is a good, good father. You have no idea what it means. You have never tasted the goodness of God. You have never experienced the goodness of God. But because people say that God is good, you think, oh, because He is good, He would forgive me of everything that I do, right? And you treat God so lightly, right? You dishonor Him. You give Him the leftovers of your time. You give Him the leftovers of your money. Oh, only if I have a little bit left of money, God, and I really, really don't need it, then I'll give a little bit to you. Only if I have some time left in my day and I feel like there's really nothing to do in the last two minutes before I sleep, then I will give it to you, right? That you give the, God the leftover of your energy, your mind, your heart, you give God the leftover of everything, and then you come to church and you say, God, would you, would you give me a promotion? Where is the honor due God's name? Where is the honor? You're young adults, can I talk to you? If you ask God to give you a promotion, that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. God wants to bless you. But the question I want to ask you is, after God gives you that promotion, Will you love Him more? Will you read the Bible more? Will you pray a little bit more? Will you, will you serve Him a little bit more? Will you love Him a little bit more? And if the answer is no, why would a good, good father give you what you want for you to stay exactly where you are? Is that a good, good father to you? I don't know. That's, my father will not give me what I want if I'm just going to dishonor Him. I know that for a fact but he is still a good father, right? And sometimes a good father would just leave and walk away because that's what's best for you. You know, we serve a holy God. Just in case you forgot the magnanimous of God, 
the magnanimity of God, the enormity of God. God, the one that knows you before you were even born, created you, birthed you, breathed life into you, gave you everything that you have right now, your job, your health, your money, your family. He gave you everything, including being a Malaysian, right? He gave you everything. Where is the honor due His name? Do you remember how holy He is? Do you remember that if you profess yourself to be a Christian, what did He ask you to do? Be holy, for I am holy. And you say, no, 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 I cannot be holy. It's too religious, too much legalism in the church, right? I, I cannot be holy. I cannot honour God this way. I can only honour God my way. Since when is there any verse that God ever says, honour me according to your will? No, 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 no. Honour me according to His will. And how does He want to be honoured? He just asks you one thing. There's only one thing in the Bible that He asks of all Christians on how to honour Him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and all your soul. With all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. He didn't say some of it. He didn't say the leftovers. He didn't say, when you've got time to love me, love me. He didn't say that. He just says, love me with all, everything you have. If you are a mother, love me when you are mothering. If you are a father, love me when you're fathering. If you are a, uh, you are a professional worker, love me when you're working. Love me when you're serving. Love me when you're praying. Love me when you're showering. Love me when you're driving in a traffic jam. Love me when somebody took your seat when that was actually your seat. Love me when somebody scolded you when it was not your fault. Love me when, when you feel like you have no energy left to pray and to spend time with Him. God still says, love me with everything that I have. And God is saying, that is how you honor me. And if you have not, then maybe, just maybe, God is trying to say, there is a little bit of leaven of dishonor in our lives because we treat God so lightly. God, I don't want to honor you because it's so difficult. I just want to be in my comfort zone. Remember, we're talking about comfort zone. I just want to be in my comfort zone. But God, but God, hear me this, hear me this. All right? I'm going to pray to you for five minutes. I'm going to adore, God, you're so good. Okay, I've done my adoration. God, I confess my sins. Because, and then God, I thank you for forgiving me of my sins because Jesus, you're so good, right? And then the supplication comes the next four minutes, 50 seconds, right? God, I need, I get, I need a work promotion. God, I need my health to be better. God, I need a girlfriend. God, I need a, uh, once, once I got a girlfriend, I, got, I need to get more money to get married. God, I need a child. God, I need more money for my house. God, I need more money for my car. And God is like, whoa, 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 whoa. Your prayers alone has dishonored me. Where is the honor due my name? Church, where is the honor due His name? Do you know how good and how big and how holy and how awesome our God is? He is the Alpha and the Omega. If there is no human being, He still exists because He is the first cause. There is nothing before Him. There is nothing after Him. He is more powerful than any other spirits or any other gods on this earth. If He wants to split the Red Sea, He splits it. If He wants to swallow up the whole earth, He swallows it. He uses the earth as His footstool. He uses the earth and hold it in the palm of His hands. Who are we that He is mindful of us? Oh Lord Jesus, help us to honour You a little bit more. Do we have the yeast of complacency, the yeast of scepticism, or the yeast of dishonour in our lives? And Jesus ends this part in verse 12 by saying, be on your guard against the leaven. Be on your guard. Watch out. Beware of the leaven in your life. Because if you cannot, if you cannot weed out a, a small little leaven, a, 
a door, when it has permeated into your whole being, you end up exactly like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. God is saying, that is not where I want you to be. That is not what I called you to be. And it was almost before, before verse 13. I, when I was reading it, I can almost hear Peter asking Jesus, okay, I hear, I hear what you're saying, Jesus. I will be aware of the yeast and leaven in my life, but, but, but how? What if I already have the yeast? What if I'm already leavened? I have so much unforgiveness. I have so much pride. I have so much bitterness. I have so much uh, uh, gossip. I have so much lust. I have so much arrogance in me. What if I already have all these leaven in me? I, I'm, such a, I'm such a sinner. I'm, I, I'm, I'm such a sinner, God. How do I get rid of it? And Jesus didn't answer him directly. But if you notice and you read between the lines, Jesus answered him very indirectly in verse 13 to verse 20, specifically verse 17. Jesus asked, who do people say I am? Or you're Jeremiah, you're Elijah, you're one of the prophets. Okay, that's great. Now, who do you say I am? Who do you say Jesus is? It's almost like Jesus was saying, don't focus on the yeast because we are all sinners saved by grace and all of us have some leaven and all of us have some yeast in our lives. I want you to focus on the one thing that, is take, that should take priority and precedence in all of our lives. The priority and precedence is, who do you say Jesus is in your life? Who do you say? And I want you to give an answer from your heart and experience. Don't give an answer from what people say Jesus is. That's why he asked first question, who do people say I am? Yeah, that's who they say. But well, who do you say? Who do you say Jesus is to your life? Because when you really understand the magnificence and the personhood of Christ, the yeast would dry themselves out automatically. What did Peter say? Peter said, you are the Messiah. And it's the first time in Matthew. You are the Messiah the anointed one, the one where God poured anointing oil across the whole body. You are Christos. You are Christ. You are Jesus. You are the son of the living God. And then Jesus said, wow, that did not come from your flesh. It can only come from my Father in heaven. The cure for your heart it's not the focus of your sins. It's not the focus of getting rid of your leaven. The cure of your heart is understanding firsthand who Jesus is in your life. Who Jesus is in your life. Because when you really get and experience Jesus, the real Jesus, the divine Jesus, the Jesus that will come into your life and turn everything upside down, not for your bad, but for your good, that Jesus, one touch from Jesus, one experience of Jesus will get rid of the yeast of complacency altogether. Because you can never be comfortable where you are when you have tasted and seen the glory of Jesus. Just a little bit. When you have tasted and you have been in that presence just a little bit, how can you still stay satisfied? I want more. I want more. When you have tasted the salary of 2000 you say, I want more. When you've tasted the salary of 2005 3000 
10,000, 20,000, you can't go back. It's the same thing with Jesus. When you've tasted Him just a little bit, you can't go back. God, I want more. I'm not satisfied with that information. I want more knowledge. I want more experience. That would get rid of your yeast of complacency right away. When you have experienced and you have seen the miraculous healing power of Jesus right in front of your eyes, I guarantee you, you would get rid of the leaven of skepticism right away. Because you, you, you have no choice but to say, how did this guy get healed? It must be Jesus. It must be Jesus. How can you stay a skeptic if you have seen the glory of God in your, in your eyes? And if you have experienced the holiness of God, when you've experienced the presence of God, the raw, tangible, Shekinah glory of God, trust me when I tell you, it is going to be absolutely impossible to dishonor Him. Because you say, oh my goodness, this is a holy God. This is a big God. This is a God that can crush me in an instant. This is a God that can bless me in the next instant. This is a God that is the beginning and the end, and I've experienced just a little bit of Him. How can I still dishonor Him? You would say, God, teach me how to honor you. What is it that I need to do to honor you? What, do you? what do you need me to do? Do you need me to pray on my knees? I will do it. Do, do you need me to lift my hands in worship? I'll do it. Do, do you need me to uh, uh, anchor prayer altars? I'll do it. Do you need me to memorize the Word of God every week? I'll do it. What can I do to honor you, Jesus? What can I do to honor you, God? And if you've not experienced Jesus personally, firsthand, trust me when I say you would still be living with a lot of living yeast in your life. And you would be dry, you would be dis dysfunctional as a Christian, you would be dissatisfied with your faith, and you would eventually fall out of your faith because you have not experienced God. And no amount of coming to church you should do that. No amount of praying, you should still do that. No amount of memorizing scripture or no amount of pastors laying hands on you could ever change your life until you experience Jesus firsthand. And with this, I really want to close. I want to tell a story. And just in case you don't believe me because there are skeptics in this house, just in case, I want to tell you a story. And, and, and nothing takes away from the validity of a story that has experienced Jesus. Besides my life, there was a guy that I'm, I'm, I'm journeying with and I've been journeying with for four years. And trust me when I tell you, I cannot tell you who this guy is or what he's going through, right? But this guy is going through and encountering a stronghold that when I understand the, 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 the whole magnitude of the stronghold, I go, wow, this is difficult. This is very difficult from, from his financial status to his accommodation, to his car, to his work, everything. The, uh, the stronghold goes deep-rooted into his life, all the way into his family. It's deep-rooted, and I go, wow, you love Jesus? He says, yes. I say, okay, we're going to journey together. We're, we're going to disciple each other. We're going we're gonna to be accountable to each other. I want to see a breakthrough in your life. Year one, we prayed, nothing happened. Year two, we prayed, and nothing happened. Year three, we prayed, nothing happened. Year four, I go, oh my goodness, maybe this stronghold is too big. Maybe we need to fast and pray a little bit more. What's going on here? How come we can't break this stronghold? And then it was just two weeks ago, I was doing a, I was doing a prayer altar. And one of the prayer altars, I just said, you know, guys, just be still and let God speak to you. And he was still. And everybody was still. And in that moment, he encountered God. Yesterday, two days ago, he texted me. He says, Pastor Isaac, once in my life, 
I'm going to cut my life away from this stronghold, even if it costs me my job, even if it costs me my money, even if it costs me my house, even if it's going to cost me my car, I'm willing to cut this stronghold away from my life because I want to follow Jesus. And I go, my, my goodness, this is amazing. I said, what happened? What, what, what happened? Was there, was there a sign from heaven? Was there a burning bush? What, what happened? You must tell me what happened. Tell me your story. And he says, remember that day at prayer altar, you asked us to be silent? He said, I was silent. And in that silence, I heard a very unique voice booming down my ears. And the voice quoted Joshua 1.8 to me. And I knew, and I knew, and I knew in my spirit that it had to be God. And God said, be strong and courageous, for I am with you. And that is the only thing that I need to be assured that if I follow Jesus, my life is going to be okay. If I let go my stronghold, my life is going to be okay. Church, one encounter with Jesus is enough to get rid of all the yeast and all the fermentation and all the rot in your life. All you need is one encounter with Jesus. Church, are you willing to hunger and thirst for that one encounter? Or are you satisfied with where you are? Are you willing to hunger and thirst for that one encounter? Or you're skeptical about but, but hearing the voice of God? Are you willing to thirst and hunger for that one encounter? Or you're still willing to stay in your state of dishonor of God? Are you willing to hunger and thirst and say, God, I'm going to need you? Because everybody in this room, including myself, we've got yeast and we've got leaven that we need to get rid of. But we can't do it in our own strength. We need Jesus in our life. We need the power of Jesus. Jesus and God, I need to know who you are for the first time in my life. For the first time in my life, I really want to be whole again. I really want to follow you with everything that I have. Only if you would hunger and thirst for Jesus. Because you would never encounter God if you are always going to be complacent where you are. Don't disturb my life. I want to be complacent but only if you step out of that comfort zone that you would understand that God will meet you where you are. You can't go back to the beginning. You don't know what tomorrow would bring. But right here in the middle is where God promised to be. Are you willing to meet Him in the middle and say, God, I need you more in my life. Without you, I can't do it. I need you, Jesus. There's only one more week of fasting and prayer. And if you're not part of the program, can I just encourage you? Can I just, I hopefully, can I inspire you a little bit? Don't worry if you can't fast liquid. Don't worry about what other people are fasting. Try something. Sweet drinks? Instant fast food? Try something. Mamak food? I don't know what it is. Try something. Fast that one thing. And if you have not prayed, I'm not asking you to tarry in prayer for five hours a day. All I'm saying is give God something that you have never given Him before. Step out of that comfort zone and ask God, what is it that I can do to honor you? You tell me, God, because in my own defilement of my heart, I don't know what it is. I would say five minutes, but maybe God wants seven minutes. God, you need to tell me what I need to do to hunger and thirst after you. Are we willing? Can we do it? Can we hunger? Can we
we thirst? Are we willing to go deeper? Because let me tell you this, it's worth it. The devil is telling you if you follow Jesus more and more, he's going to make your life miserable. He's going to take away your good things. He's going he's to make your life a dump. But I'm telling you, that's the lie of the enemy. The more you follow God, he's going to take you to places that you've never been. You're going to experience more joy. You're going to experience more breakthrough. You're going to experience more love. You're going to experience more peace. You're going to experience more blessings. You're going to experience more faith. Only if you would surrender and obey. Church, can we just take two minutes? There's not going to be an altar call because all of us here have some yeast in our lives, including me. All of us here have some leaven, including me. And all of us, all of us here need to hunger and thirst for God evermore, including me. And I, can I just ask for one minute of silence before God and ask God just one question. God, how can I honor you a bit more in my life? And if He speaks to you in your heart, I want you to write it down somewhere in your handphone or on a piece of paper, and I want you to not forget it because that is how God is going to take you to the next level. That is how God is going to give you a breakthrough in your life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. Come and speak to us, Jesus. Oh, we need you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. When you're ready, you rise and sing with us. together.
place and if you feel like God wants to take you to the next step if you feel like God wants to show you a way to honor him a little bit more could you just raise your hands in this place and I just want to pray for you before you leave I want to pray for all hands raised oh Lord Jesus Father God you see every heart you see every hand we're here as your child to say God we want to honor the holy God of Israel we want to honor the holy God Almighty we don't want to treat you lightly we don't want to take you for granted we don't want to treat you like a genie but we want to say God here I am show me who you are help me know you are near show me a voice show me a voice give me a sign to change my life speak to me Jesus because I want to encounter you because one encounter from you one encounter with you would change my life forevermore God teach us how to honor you a little bit more God here I am take my hands take my heart I want to give it to you oh Lord God in the next one week and it's only one week KPI teach me Father God do I need to pray a bit more do I need to wake up just 15 minutes earlier do I need to skip one meal just to draw closer to you what sacrifice can I give so that I can honor you a little bit more what commitment can I take so that I can honor you a little bit more. God, this is not the end of the service, but this is going to be the beginning of this week. And God, I pray that you speak to all of us here and every hand's raised. You speak to us in our hearts. You speak to us in the toilet. You speak to us when we're driving so that, Father God, we can honor you as one body, one soul, one spirit, 
one Lord, one baptism, one God. We are one church. We thank you, God. We love you, Jesus. And all glory and all honor will go to your name. In Jesus' name, we all say, Amen. Amen.